Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's move from the question of genre now to another idea that we should all be aware of as we become folklorists. And this is the distinction between texture, text, and context. Actually, this segment is based on a very important essay by Alan Dundees on this very topic, which I can totally share with you if you want to learn more about it. Now, if you do become a full-fledged folklorist, you need to be play you need to pay close attention to all three of these things actually text texture and context when you're out there collecting folklore in the wild it's because in order to understand how an item works and what it means to the people who use it you have to understand how all three aspects right text texture context work together uh, to produce a kind of living item of folklore the text of an item is what we've been talking about. It's the specific thing itself. It's what it looks like, as McNeil says. Uh, the texture, on the other hand, is the stylistic features that an item has, how it's presented or decorated. It's what it feels like, maybe. Finally, the context is all that other stuff that's going on uh, that comes along with the text. It's the context. It's who's performing, performing the item, it's where and when it's being performed, it's to whom it's being performed, uh, and why it's being performed, and also any other circumstantial, historical, social background information that's, that could be going on, like what's going on in the world while this joke is being told, while this song is being sung, and so on. Uh, as Alan Dundies points out, it, usually folklorists didn't really pay attention to anything besides the text. Uh, it's kind of understandable since most people kind of got into folklore because they really like the items that they were collecting, even today. It's the same reason why people collect coins or baseball cards. There's a thrill of the hunt, a satisfaction of finding and recording like 500 different Japanese proverbs. Right? Uh, many times that, that's all that folklorists really want to do is to kind of collect texts and publish them and show off their culture. Dundee's notes that uh, the scholars who are interested in texture, on the other hand, the stylistic features of text like rhyme, rhythm, tone, pitch, accent, and so on, these are linguists who are more interested in the language in which the item uh, is found rather than the item that they're collecting. Finally, Dundee's notes that the people who care about context are usually anthropologists, um, and even then, they're less concerned with maybe specific contexts of a specific performance of an item of folklore, like a myth or a proverb or a ritual. Uh, and they're more interested in describing the function of that myth or proverb or ritual within a society as a whole. Now, let's turn a little bit more closely to each of these three elements and talk about what uh, they might look like when you're out there looking for folklore. Uh, first, the text of an item of folklore. This this is the actual set of words of a story or a proverb or a slang word or a joke or superstition, belief, etc., etc. The musical notes of a song or um, <clears throat> the movements of a dance or gesture, the shapes or materials of a, that an image of, of an art piece, that kind of thing. The rules and procedures of a ritual or a game or a folk recipe and so on. These are all the things that make up the item itself. Uh, and will occur again and again every time this item is performed. The texture of an item of folklore is all the stylistic or aesthetic uh, aspects of a text. So if it's a verbal thing, then it's like the rhythm, the rhyme, the poetic figures, the pitch, the stress, alliteration, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
nonverbal forms. Texture is things like the color of something or its tone or its flavor, its feel, its layout, its ornamentation, costumes, and all the other kind of bells and whistles that might be involved in the item. How do you record the texture of an item? Well, um, one thing you have to do is to record the item in its original language especially if the, the genre is fixed phrase. That way the texture is sure to be captured and you can look to see if the item you recorded makes use of things like rhyme or alliteration or if there's onomatopoeia or something like that. Right? Just kind of pay attention to those things. In free phrase forms, sometimes texture is captured by like some untranslatable words like la in Singaporean dialect or dude or in like American teenager English. I don't know. If you keep these words in the transcription of the thing that you're recording, it captures the texture of the item. Uh, on this note, a good, you should, I want to emphasize that a good folklore should never edit or censor the text that they're using, that they're collecting. If a consultant uses dirty words, for example, they should stay in the recording. It shouldn't be watered down or made like safe for work or kid-friendly or anything like that if it's not supposed to be. Incorrect grammar and spelling shouldn't be fixed, even if the grammar or spelling and so on, so on sound incorrect, don't fix it. It's all part of the texture of the item and impacts how uh, people are supposed to feel when they're using the item. Uh, it's, it's important that folklorist records the items exactly how the consultant knows and uses them. Uh, and this is for two reasons. One, f folklore has variation and it changes based on the people who are using it, right? Uh, so it's, it's important to find variants of common items of folklore so we can see how uh, this folklore is changing. The second reason is that folklore often is irreverent and often it's some kind of, it's, it's kind of wrong, actually. Uh, folks, the folk are not af afraid to say what people might uh, nor ordinarily be afraid to say in normal contexts, and folklore can often give insight into uh, the anxieties that folk communities actually have. Folklore keeps it real, in other words, so you should never censor the text, if possible. Uh, if uh, that's text and texture, the context of an item is perhaps the most important uh, feature, but also the most neglected aspect when you're collecting folklore. Again, it comes from the fact that most folklorists are in it, they're in the game because they really like the items of folklore that they're collecting. Proverbs are awesome, jokes are really funny, right? So it's easy to skip over what's going on around uh, the proverbs and the jokes as they're being told. The context of an item of folklore consists of the situation in which it's actually used. And it's all the info about where the item is performed, when it's performed, what time of day it is, and so on what the weather is like, who's performing it, who's present, who's hearing and watching it, how it's being staged or set up for the public, uh, why it's being uttered or created or believed or enacted or performed. In other words, it's a ton of any kind of like situational information that isn't in the text itself, uh, but it happens to kind of go along with the text. It's context. Uh, scholars often distinguish between general context features, which are like the general tendency of why and when uh, something's performed and the kind of specific event that takes place when a performer performs an item for an audience. In the case of a joke, uh, folklorists may make some general observations about the kind of social, religious, political mores or sentiments of the group uh, that's telling the joke and then focus on the function that this kind of joke serves within the community. Or they could 
uh, be kind of focus more specifically on telling what happened this one particular time that someone told a joke. Um, there's two different ways to look at context, in other words, but it's but by paying attention to context, you can start to get a sense of how and why ordinary people use folklore to make sense of their lives. Uh, folklore does something in people's lives. It mediates our experiences of the world around us. And it's through the engagement between the text and the context where you can see this mediation most clearly. Now, in closing, I want to turn to ways that I found it helpful uh, to distinguish between the four different kinds of context which you can find, which is, again, really good, uh, it was a really good way to do interviews. Uh, you have the basic context, which is all the information about the performer, who their audience is, and where they tell the joke, and so on. Uh, uh, here you can also think of background details like where and when the performer first heard the item, uh, and from whom. Uh, for those interested in the origins and history of a particular item of folklore, this is extremely valuable information. You can then collect three different kinds of more specific contexts. First, you could actually happen to uh, catch folklore happening live in the wild, I like to say. Uh, this is the best case, of course, because then you have a kind of an unadulterated, authentic occurrence of an item within context, text in context. An example of this might be like a drinking game. You're playing, you're drinking with your family and friends, and suddenly people start playing a drinking game, right? Uh, in most cases, though, uh, and especially in our kind of age of lockdowns and social distancing, you probably are not going to get this. Instead, what you have to do is to ask your consultant to kind of remember a particular time when they last used the item. Right, when they told the joke or the proverb or the story or whatever. This is the remembered context. Often your consultant is going to do what? He's going to say, or she's going to say, I have no idea. I don't remember. Probably when I was a kid, I don't know, when I was in elementary school or something like that. Then what you have to do is the third thing, which is ask your consultant to imagine a hypothetical situation where they would have told the joke or the story or the proverb or used the superstition or that kind of thing. Have them describe this ideal hypothetical context. And that's what it's called, a hypothetical context. Uh, it's important to kind of find at least one of this kind of context for your consultant to talk about when you're doing interviews. That's really what we need to get to. So there you have it, a kind of close look at three levels of any type of folklore, the text, the texture, the context. Let's keep these ideas in mind along with what we ta talked about with genre as we keep digging around for folklore. Next time, we're going to talk about one more key concept of folklore studies, a rather revolutionary idea called folk groups. So till then, take care, hang loose, and have fun looking out for folklore in the world around you.